0: Hi there! Welcome back to the I Wonder Why podcast, a show where we explore and celebrate creativity and imagination in all their forms. I'm your host, Glenn McCarty. Thanks for joining me today on this lovely August day. My guest today is the novelist Helena Sorensen, whose debut novel, Shiloh, has been called Beautiful and Haunting. It's a fantasy story set in the fictional world of Shiloh, where, well, Maybe I should just let Helena tell you herself. It's a great interview I've got coming up for you. Uh, Before we get started today, I should say you can always find additional information about guests and other resources related to creativity at my website, uh, iwonderwhy.wordpress.com. That's E-Y-E, wonderwhy.wordpress.com. Thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoy the interview with Helena. Helena Sorensen, thanks for coming on today and agreeing to be my guest here on the I Wonder Why podcast.
1: I'm really glad to be here, Glenn. Thanks so much.
0: Sure. Um, I thought we'd start maybe by uh, having you just read a little excerpt from uh, Shiloh, uh, which is your debut novel, which released in 2013. Um, I should probably also mention just a brief bit of background here. Uh, Shiloh was released last year, as I said, and you have a prequel, which is releasing this fall, called Seeker. Mm -hmm. Um, You're also a contributor to StoryWarren.com, which is a site that uh, offers resources and encouragement for families, uh, and imagination. Um, so anyway, um, why don't you go ahead and just start us out with, uh, with an excerpt from Shiloh.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to give a, a passage that would give you a little bit of context for the, the world of Shiloh, um, which is a world without sun, world of darkness and, and the people are born with um, kind of a light of their own but it fades very quickly and the main character Amos is extraordinary in that he kind of holds on to that a lot longer than other people Um, so uh, this passage uh, Amos is traveling with his father in a a really dangerous wood and and he's with a friend and they encounter some conflict (laughs) hush sim wait Abner hissed he stopped and the three stood silent, their eyes searching for some break in the impenetrable darkness. Behind them there was a sound, a low, heavy rolling. It rose gradually, growing and spreading until they were surrounded by the insatiable, thundering growls of many wolves. They had been marked. The air grew colder, and suddenly their lights were snuffed out. They stood in almost total darkness, isolated for an instant from everything but their own thoughts. For Abner, that moment was like the coming of doom his darkest fears had come upon him they would surely be devoured by the shadow he had failed to protect his son and simeon and his wife and daughter would be alone and vulnerable he was overcome with a sinking despair for simeon the extinguishing of the lights by some nameless dark in the heart of the wood was almost more than his frail heart could bear panic overtook him his pulse raced and his skin was covered with clammy sweat he trembled uncontrollably but the darkness was not complete not quite The people of Shiloh were born with a certain incandescence, a certain radiance about them. They shone. Though they did not know it, this light was the last remnant of the glory that belonged to them before the world was unmade. Babes came wet and shining from their mother's bellies, and they lit their parents' cottages as well as any lantern. But the shadow took its toll. Children learned too quickly that no shining dawn ever came to that world. Too quickly they learned that they were hunted, always hunted. They saw the faces of hunger and death. They felt the fear their glory faltered and faded and finally vanished. It was rare indeed to find a child of five or six who radiated any light at all, rarer still to find a man or woman come of age who still possessed some hint of their glorious birthright, but they could be found. Orrin's skin glowed faintly when he worked at the forge. Abner's face shone just slightly when he marveled at his son's skill with the bow. Wind was luminous when her husband stepped through the door of the cottage and Phoebe fairly blazed when she sang. Amos's pulse had quickened too when the darkness fell, but not from fear. Unlike the others, he felt remarkably alive. His mind was clear, his senses acute, his muscles relaxed. He let out a long breath, fixed his eyes on the cold torch in his right hand and spoke one word, burn. A red-orange flame shot up from the oiled cloth. All at once, the menacing growls of the wolves ceased. The hunter's path was warm and bright. Amos whistled a little tune. By the gods, Abner swore, turning and staring in awe at his son. Amos burned brighter than the torch, and it was he who filled the wood with radiance.
0: Hmm. that is that's such a fascinating uh, premise that 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 little concept that you illustrated in that scene the idea that, that people uh, you know literally glow and have glowed but but things have faded uh, over time right. that's such a such an interesting uh, concept to build a world around um, so take me back uh, to the origin of sort of building this world. Um, what kind of hatched this idea uh, of, of maybe starting to build a world uh, in, in, that you could kind of tell a story in?
1: Well, it's, um, it's kind of a goofy story, actually. I um, started a couple of chapters of a story idea in college and abandoned it. And um, nine, 10 years later, my mom found it on an old computer and didn't know what it was or who it belonged to and started asking about it. And I realized it was mine and remembered it. And the name of the world was Shiloh. And that's really the only thing that survived. But the idea kind of got under my skin um, that it would be neat to explore the the tension between what we see and what we believe to be real. And And the Bible uses so much language that talks about shadow and darkness and and this veil, uh, the shadow of death. You hear that phrase over and over. Um, And so I I wondered what would it be like uh, for there to be a world where that was absolutely a literal experience for them and how could they learn to see beyond it or believe that there was anything beyond um, their daily experience. So, um, yeah, it just it was an idea that that it it intrigued me. And so I just kept pursuing it doggedly until I, I found a world there.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it might be interesting uh, for people to hear a little bit about when you're talking about something that, you know, if you call it high fantasy or, you know, this complete and totally uh, enriched world, um, how, how do you go about uh, building a world like that? I mean, what um, what's kind of, maybe from a technical standpoint or from an idea standpoint, how do you go about putting those details together so that you know um, I would assume the goal is probably to know more about the world than, than is in the story, in the book.
1: Right, yeah, absolutely. You know, my first draft of Shiloh was just a bare bones thing. It was 40,000 words. And um, when I had just a couple of close friends and family members read it over, they said, we, we just want more. What, what is going on here? We want more about this world. And so I just started asking questions and, and chiefly they were questions about what these people valued and what kind of stories they would tell, um, and how those stories would show what mattered to them. So I wanted to know about their heroes. Mm. <laughs> so I sketched out a timeline, you know, I mean, I mean, pick a, a time period, pick an amount of time that this world has been in existence, you can do anything. Um, and then just started kind of penciling in ideas for people that I thought they would revere and want to remember, people who were courageous. and um, And from there, I kind of, expounded on that building songs and and sort of one epic poem um things that would kind of bond them together through time um, and just give you a feeling for who they are and and what they fear and and what they hope for um you know i i was so intimidated in the beginning because i i i felt like to create a good fantasy world i would have to do do it tolkien style and (laughs) invent whole languages and have these detailed maps and thousands of years of history sketched out and um you you don't have to do it that way you really don't um just knowing some of the basics and knowing um like i said what people value in this world to me uh gives it texture to the story and and gives the reader something to kind of cheer for you know
0: were there maps involved
1: I do have some maps, but I am I am not talented in the visual arts at all. So they're really pitiful. Actually, the map that is in uh, the print version of Shiloh is is mine, but it's you know it's pitiful. <laughs> so it's the best I can do at the moment. Yeah,
0: no, I I, I wonder how it felt to be um, producing documents and primary source stuff that that you're probably pretty sure won't. Directly serve the story. It's, it's it's sort of just like you said, uh, giving you a texture of a culture. I don't know. Is is there a point where that that feels it's it's exciting and it's fun in the creative process? But do you feel like you're deviating or straying at all from the primary task, which is which is telling the story, or no?
1: I didn't. To me, it was really fun. I don't know if I was just being nerdy about it, um, but. It helped me. uh, The best example I can think of is the Harry Potter series, because after reading that, you can look at the first book and see that you were given three or four little details of this world on a silver platter. But you knew that J.K. Rowling had a a really much larger scope of that in her mind. And she was so comfortable in her world that she could kind of hand you little details um, and, and layers at her choosing whenever she was ready. And so that level of comfort was kind of inspiring to me, and I, I wanted some some feeling like that in writing this series. Yeah,
0: you can tell you really can that can't you? When you when you're yeah. reading a story that this this person's either cheated and they've just kind of done exactly what they needed to for the story, or they haven't. And this right. is a person who, you know, like you like you said, they they've made the world, they know the culture. Yeah. Um, so with going back and doing kind of a prequel, um, how? How do you stay in that world, especially if you've taken some time away or anything like that? You know, how do you stay familiar with the culture when you're, you're obviously living um, in your own world <laughs> with, the, with your people that, right. you, that you surround? I'm assuming you, you can't just um, you know, go off somewhere for months at a time. So how do you kind of balance right. and stay in the world of Shiloh um, you know, as you're preparing to write something else?
1: Well, um, for this third book, um, I had to go back and really read the first book and take a lot of notes to remind myself of the rules I had set. Um, but for the prequel, I was able to step out of um, of a lot of the things that I had established, established in the first book, because uh, so many of the fantasy creatures that appear in Shiloh were not yet created when Seeker is set. Um, so it was a little more of a simple story to tell. Um, Beyond that, I, I really just reread notes and and went back and kind of reviewed my research about archery and horsemanship and and some of the basic things that I, I wanted to not sound like an idiot on. <laughs> um, and I also had had given a little um, a little taste of the story that Seeker is based on in Shiloh, so I, I felt like I already knew those characters or that I I wanted to explore them more. Um, and so it, it didn't feel like uh, a great leap to move back into it. It felt comfortable.
0: Has fantasy always been kind of your go-to in terms of, of being a reader and, and maybe as a writer as well?
1: You know, not really. It's funny because I I didn't read that much fantasy grow up. Growing up, I didn't read Tolkien until I was uh, twenty, maybe. Um, Ooh, I read CS. Isn't that falling? I mean, there's just no excuse. Now I've Almost everything he's written, so I'm trying to make uh, up for right. lost time. <laughs> My spent youth, you know. But um, I, I really appreciate what Sam Smith um, of Story Warren says about um, people in the, the, the church culture that I grew up in. He says that it's not so much that they're against certain things as that they have a poverty of imagination. And I think um, for me, I just didn't even know what was out there. And so I spent a lot of time rereading classics. I loved the Brontes. I loved Jane Austen. um, I loved C.S. Lewis, all these different things. But I just didn't know really how many options I had. Um, So even now, I'm trying to catch up on things. Like people have told me I need to read Dune. So I have Dune on my nightstand. I'm going to read Dune. Um, Uh, So you'll breeze right through that.
0: I'm sure that'll take you just a couple of days to get through that, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Aren't there, like, I don't know, 20 books in the series? But uh, that kind of high fantasy is really not the fantasy I I prefer, and so I feel a little bit embarrassed about that, like a little bit of a fraud in the fantasy world, because I really lean more towards myths and fairy tales and the kind of fantasy that Tolkien and MacDonald and Lewis write. That's what I I much prefer to these vast, sweeping worlds with (laughs) thousand-page volumes (laughs) that keep coming. So i don't think i could ever quite make it into that that side it of it's funny so.
0: there's a certain amount of like that fantasy like street cred like you know like your first your first book <laughs> was like a, a beowulf picture book like if that wasn't if that wasn't the case then you know i'm sorry you you can't you can't write fantasy um I'm,
1: it's in, it's really scary <laughs> yeah, so
0: uh you do the best you can right so um I'm you right. mentioned like you know writing as. uh Kind of heading into this Shiloh territory in college, um, were there were there works that did inspire you to want to tell stories and write?
1: You know, my background is music, um, and so m- most of the the moments that I would say were these beautiful, inspiring moments where I said, "I want to do that. I want to make something beautiful like that," were music related. Um, the When I read, okay, my dad read us Stephen King's The Eyes of the Dragon, which is King's only real standalone fantasy, and it's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Most people don't even know that it's out there, and while I can't handle most of King's stuff, it's a little um, unsettling for me. Uh, The Eyes of the Dragon is this beautiful, self-contained, pure, simple, just great fantasy story, and reading that was the first time I thought, I think I could do this. <laughs> that was the first book that made me say, "Okay, I'm going to try." So That's yeah, I
0: I'm, I am not am not familiar with that uh, Stephen King, um, and it's it sounds exciting because, you know, he is such a world builder, but usually his worlds are, you know, well, they're kind of ours, but he takes some liberty he takes some liberties yeah. for sure, huh? Right. Um. So. Talking about, you talked a little bit earlier about kind of getting into, I'm assuming, what you're working on like right now, which would be a third book. Um, Yeah. What kind of, uh, I hesitate to use the word routine, um, but what kind of process to kind of a regular writing schedule or getting through a first draft of something? You know, how does that, um, Mm. how does that go for you?
1: Well. um, Because I
0: tell my students the most important thing about a first draft is that it's done. Um, you just need to yeah. get as good as you can, but it needs to be finished because then, obviously, you know the real work uh, begins on revisions and everything.
1: Yes, I completely agree with that, and it's very difficult uh, on your first novel to understand that and see it. But as you move a little farther into um, into your writing, I think it's maybe some of the best advice you can give and, and continually give yourself. Um, so tonight I'll finish the first draft of Songbird, which is the oh, third book in the wow. series. And it's, yeah, it's been, it'll be about 70,000 words in mm-hmm. 31 days. I started July 1st. So it feels really more like a seizure than like any kind of <laughs> serious crafting of something beautiful. Um, but but I keep reminding myself over and over again, okay, this, you know, I'm who I am as a writer does not come down to what this first draft is. And I'm, until I have raw material, I can't move forward, it's just impossible. So it's sort of like this constant um, exercise in self-control, not to look back at the line that I just wrote that contradicted what I wrote 10 pages before, or the adjective that I've used 100 times in the last page and I know it. (laughs) Um, I just try to make a a slight mental note and just keep going and keep going and keep going. Um, Because just like you say, the real work begins after that first draft is down, and I think most people never really get to that point um, because there's so much fear and because of this idea I think that people have a difficult time making something that's a mess you know like why would we make a mess on purpose and that's the first draft is I'm purposely sitting down to make a mess so that I can clean it yeah. up
0: um, have you found uh, I guess how, how have you found that your your family and maybe even your kids has kind of played a role in in your creative work I'll give you an example. I, I I don't know. I feel like I feel like to me, my drive to produce work for children was strong before I had kids, um, but but I just see how much value there is that kids need really good food, you know, like you know for their imagination. And I'm like, well, I'm only one man, <laughs> but but I can do the best I can. And and well, that rhymed. That sounded really awful. Um, sheez <laughs> sounded like something I have like I say to myself all the time like a mantra no it's yeah it's not a mantra um but you know it's just like i, I this is what this is a gift I have I can I can do this for my kids and when you said little voices it just made me think like you know uh, this this one little little thing I wrote this fable kind of began as just like a bedtime story that I told to my kids and you know um thinking of them someday reading, some things that I've written when they get to be at the age where their stories are more appropriate for them is just, it's very exciting. It's not the reason I do it, but it, it definitely has fed, you know?
1: Well, um, it's, uh, being a mom is definitely something that's added challenges to <laughs> trying to write and all that. So that's one element of it. But the experience of motherhood, um, I think has added a whole new spectrum of emotions to what I'm able to write. Um, I, you know, there are lots of things that we read. Writers, part of our job is to guess at emotions, to guess at what it is, to experience the world through other people's eyes and, and to walk around in their shoes. But um, I think you can kind of tell with a writer when what they're writing is just absolutely true to them, that these are emotions they've, felt and things they've experienced. So, um, being a mom has opened up just a lot in that area. I think, um, new colors to paint with new, new shades added to the palette. Um, so that's been fun, painful sometimes, uh, but also very beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um, do you find that, like I said, even though your audience is definitely older than your kids are now, do you find that there are, um, things that make their way into those stories that you're writing now um, that you are related, not just emotions, but other things that are kind of born out of like your interactions with your children or ideas that are hatched when you're reading another story with them or having an experience with them outside or, or something like that.
1: You know, so far that hasn't played a big role because of how young they are. And my stories do um, lean towards kind of an older age group, but I will say that um Reading to them, I mean, I just read so much to them. <laughs> We're constantly going to the library and being, bringing home a bag full of twenty books, and um, so that's just exposed me to a lot more stories and a lot more styles. And it's been delightful to explore that with them, and, and I think that's helped me grow as a writer too, and and to enjoy my time with them that much more.
0: Yeah, it, it's true. Like they say, a lot of those like it's all you, you want to write books for kids. Here's what you should do. One of the first things they say is read a lot of books, um, you know, for this age group. And it's right. like, well, <laughs> okay, check. Right. That's done. Right. Um, that's, that's we've got that taken care of. That's not really right. an issue for me. <laughs> yes. Um, so you've had the experience. Um, I know having gone to the, uh, story Warren, uh, conference this past, uh, spring, um, you've had the experience of kind of getting to maybe meet some people who have read your your books and not just there certainly but um, y- you know what what is the process of seeing your book go out into the world and find an audience and then get people who are giving you feedback on it like
1: well you know <laughs> uh, I think we were talking about this a little bit before um, there there's a really big delay uh, between the blood and grit of writing a book and, and seeing people's response. So it's kind of a lonely experience. Um, but in the end when you do see people responding or being moved by the characters, it's, it's absolutely amazing because it's a, it's a very, um, In a way, it's a very naked experience having other people read your stuff. It feels like such a private, personal world. And of course, you know, all the characters matter to me and and I think it's wonderful. Um, But to find someone else who was moved by the story or who connected with the character or who felt hope at the end um, and and kind of experienced the character's journeys with them, that is is marvelous. It's just such a wonderful thing. It's a major high. Um, So I'm grateful, really grateful for the little bit of that that I've experienced so far.
0: Yeah, how does that delay affect things? I mean, I know, you know, when you perform something live, if you're a musician or anything like that, you know, you immediately get the applause and that, mm-hmm. that goes right into the next song or whatever. But it's, you know, it's being on some sort of major loop delay where, you know, you do something and then a year, or two years later, someone's like, yeah, well, that was really good. Right. And, it, and it, oh, I did that two years ago. You know, I, I don't know. How does that affect, does that affect at all the the being creative, the producing things at all, or is it just, like you said, it's this world that you're creating primarily for you. Uh, and so it doesn't, you know, there's,
1: I think there's, there are some of both of that in there that it is a, a very um, personal, joyful, intense experience that um, maybe people just can't even share in during the process. Um, It's the time when you probably need the most cheering and you don't get almost any, (laughs) uh, which is where it's great to have some friends who understand the creative process and just to know people who are writers who get what it feels like to say one day, I can do this, I can do this, and then 10 minutes later, I can't do this, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, That's a real comfort and a real encouragement. But yeah, it's it's when you're in the arena fighting it out and um, beating the story into submission, that's when no one's really noticing. And when you're out and working on a new project… And sort of emotionally, you've moved on from that story. That's when other people are getting to enjoy it. And so it, it is difficult, um, but I, it, it's just part of the job. So Right, that's you true. You can
0: yeah, so what, what does keep you going with your creative pursuits? I know you, um, you write music as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess if you had to sort of maybe synthesize a whole bunch of complex reasons... Uh, in, into a short response, um, <laughs> what 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 do you think? If, uh, what keeps you going with with creativity? Why do you why do you do it?
1: I do it really because it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel like um, myself more than anything else that I do ever. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that's maybe hard for some people to understand because it's very difficult at times and not always uh, rewarding in a in a worldly sense, you know, it's not necessarily a way to make a lot of money or a lot of fame. Um, But, but it's wonderful. And and I think that there's so much reward, even if you don't get a lot of feedback from other people, um, there's so much reward in taking something that's unformed, and, and following it through until it's something beautiful, at least by someone's standards, or at least by your own standards. Um, It's great. It's bringing order into chaos. And, um, and I absolutely love it. I wouldn't trade it.
0: Yeah, you um, you talked earlier about this idea of the poverty of imagination, which is such a great phrase that Sam Smith uses to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. it, you said it was sort of related to your upbringing, um, and I'll I guess say- I would use it to describe elements of, of mine as well, and I, I wonder if when you talk about like needing to create, which is something that I can empathize with, and I, I would think other people listening can as well. Um, does that I don't know does that create kind of a disconnect then between you and and people who just that's not really their their thing you know they're like I don't I don't get that you know why do you have to write stories you know does it create any kind of a a gap or a, a lack of understanding at all
1: You know I don't know I'm a little nervous about um trying to explore my story in a more um forthright way <laughs> like say writing memoirs or, or writing a story that hits a little closer to home um but I was still doing that in writing Shiloh and, and I still am with Seeker and with Songbird the next two books in the series um and, and it, what's crazy is that um I was really working through some some big issues in my life and I had already written the first draft of Shiloh before I realized what I was saying to myself and, and I read that in a book recently I think it was um Carlos Ruiz Zafón, who said it something like um, a book is a letter that an author writes to himself to tell himself things he couldn't otherwise understand. Hmm. And so it's fascinating to me to look at my own stuff and say, oh, I've realized now what I was trying to say and what I was trying to sort out in my own heart and in my own memory uh, by telling that story. And I, I feel whole (laughs) in a strange way, um, by telling that. And even though it's fantasy that I'm writing, I I think that it's very human fantasy. And I, and I hope that, um, that is something people can connect to. Um, because for me, it was a very personal thing to write and, and healing in a way. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's interesting. Um, all right, last question. Um, okay. Hardest, hardest question. Take a deep breath. Are you sitting down?
1: <laughs> I'm sitting down, yes. Okay, good.
0: Um, your favorite Pixar movie?
1: <laughs> okay. My favorite Pixar movie. Today, today
0: anyway. It could change. I'm sure today. it's always changing.
1: Um, You know, I love them all. I can't say, I love, I can't just say all of them for an answer. Um, my son had a long obsession with finding Nemo, and that one makes me laugh. And so I'm a big fan. I'll just pick that one
0: that's good that's that's yeah we had this thing uh that we somehow we acquired a stuffed bruce i don't know i don't think we bought it (laughs) you know i don't know you have little kids people people give you things Um, oh yeah oh yeah and we acquired a stuffed bruce and uh we had this you remember land shark from those old saturday live old saturday live where they knock on the door and they're like who is it and it's like welcome wagon and they open the door and this is giant shark that just eats people. I don't know if you know that sketch. It's really no, I
1: haven't seen those, It's ridiculous. It's you
0: should look it up on YouTube. It's like okay. 70s, seventies, eighties, uh, SNL. Anyway, um, we did this thing where we would hide Bruce all over the house for Gavin when when he was like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe three or something. And
1: That's so like he'd, he'd go
0: down in the morning and he'd like open up the fridge to get something and there would be Bruce on the shelf. <laughs> and he then <laughs> no, he never was. That was the funny part. <laughs> it's like Maybe the, okay. Maybe the first day he was, but, um, <laughs> but then after that, it was like, it became a thing. It was just like, you know, where's he going to pop up? Is he going to be in my pajama drawer? Is he going to be <laughs> sitting on the potty? You know, like where's Bruce going to be? That's
1: fantastic. Uh,
0: it was, it was a good thing. Uh, well, anyway, there you go. Way too much information about me. Um, no one liked it. Finding Emo is a good movie. <laughs> uh, all right. So I thought maybe to, to close this out today, um, I would ask you if you would mind to read an excerpt from Seeker, um, which you have completed but has not yet uh, come out. Uh, right. So I guess whatever you need for us to understand to be able to to get into this, uh, this little excerpt would be great.
1: Okay, sure. Um, Seeker is a prequel for Shiloh. It goes back and tells the story of one of the heroes of their people. His name is Evander. And um, this is just a prologue for the story. Uh, it's coming out in September, and this will just kind of introduce you to... Um, the lost clan their voices echo still in the winds that whip down from the mountains in the rush of the stream that winds its way around the forgotten village and plunges into the pool where lazy currents of black water drift below ice crested banks all else is silent charred stones and decaying boards like discarded bones peek through a blanket of snow the lanes that wind between the shells of collapsed cottages are empty apart from the snow that collects in ever-rising drifts the furnace in the hillside once bright with fires and the varied colors of cooling glass panes is cold and black to the east is a strange broken forest the blackened stumps of ancient trees squat on the ground shouldering their heavy snow burdens hundreds of years of fallen leaves and flowers rot beneath the snow in layer upon layer of death no man who sees this desolation could envision the gentle rain of pink petals in the heart of the fairwood in spring or the clear green of the fan shaped leaves in summer Or their transformation to vivid gold in autumn all of that is lost when the snows thaw little clusters of bleeding flowers will spring up again on the hillside nectar will gather on the tip of each folded velvet petal and fall to the ground sinking like blood into the soil the flowers could tell the tale the remnant that retreated to the village of fleet could tell it too though their version could hardly be trusted the others are gone lost Women of great beauty and courage, and children who hardly knew how much they had to fear vanished in the tangled gloom of the Whispering Wood. Fierce warriors, men of skill and daring and cunning faded into the darkness of the Black Mountains, never to return. This is the story of the Sun Clan, the Lost Clan, and all that was lost with them.
0: Mm. And you said that's the prologue to the book. That's right. Huh, so then, wow, that's a great way of setting up the story. well, wow, that's terrific, and we're definitely going to look for that um, this fall. I also understand you had another piece of exciting news. Um, Shiloh, your first book, which had, for a time anyway, only been available electronically, has now come back and is available in print again. Is that right?
1: That's right. Just this week, re-released, and it's uh, newly formatted, and it looks great. I'm really right. excited about it.
0: That's terrific. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show, and um, we can't wait to uh, read your stuff. And uh, thank you. thanks again, Helena.
1: No problem. Thank you, Glenn.
0: Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me and have a great week and hope you'll come back next time for more fun and frivolity on the I Wonder Why podcast. See you later.